Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Justin Cavallano. Justin is the Managing Director and Group Head at Fengate Private Equity. Justin, thank you for joining us and welcome. Mario, thank you for having me. Justin, I always start by uh, asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and about their work and, in your case, about Fengate, which has had a great history of uh, investing in our marketplace. So maybe I'll start there, learn a bit about you and about Fengate. Yeah, maybe I'll start, I'll start with me first and I'll kind of parlay that into Fengate. So um, I've been investing my whole career, Mario. I uh, went to school for business and finance, went to Laurier did co-op terms that gave me a chance to get a taste of investing and ultimately ended up working at a, a mezzanine lender that was part of TD Capital. It's called TD Mezzanine Partners as my first job. So I've always been on the private market side in some way, shape or form or around private equity transactions and did some time there, which was great. I got to work with a lot of different sponsors, see the world from a lender's perspective and ultimately transitioned from TD Capital Mezzanine Partners with a small stint at TD Securities, but ultimately ended up at Birchill Equity Partners and worked there for a couple of years. I got to work under some really smart people and then made the transition into Fengate, uh, which didn't have a private equity arm at the time, about uh, just over 11 years ago now. And really, I, I transitioned to Fengate because it was a young, up-and-coming asset manager who was doing some interesting things. I had uh, some knowledge of the existing partners there and thought they were really great people and decided to kind of jump in and see if I could help them. And I actually joined Fengate in, in an infrastructure capacity, uh, which was one of their primary businesses, and ultimately evolved it into uh, the private equity business that you and I are going to talk about. Maybe I'll pause there on myself for a second. I'll give you a bit of history on Fengate. So Fengate surprisingly owned organization. It's been around over 45 years. It was started by our current CEO's father, Lou Serafini Sr., who was really doing uh, real estate property management for a period of time. He's a classic Italian immigrant story, came here, started Fengate, and created a business for himself. And over time, started to invest in real estate and eventually convinced some of his friends to invest in real estate beside him, which allowed them to create their first ever kind of investment management product. And if you fast forward kind of 45 years to today and, and Lou Serafini Jr., who is our current CEO taking over, the business has evolved tremendously. We manage just over $7 billion of equity commitments today across three different platforms. Our infrastructure platform, which is our flagship platform in terms of uh, the lion's share of our assets under management. We have a real estate platform, which was Fengate's Roots. And then, of course, we have the private equity platform that I'm responsible for today. I remember when I joined Fengate, we had 40 employees, and now we have just under 200 employees to give you an idea of how fast uh, the business has grown in that period of time. And Justin, you play a unique role at Fengate because you had the private equity investment vehicle. Um, and I want to obviously talk a bit about that from a variety of different angles, but maybe we could start by talking a little bit about actually how Fengate looks at private equity, because you do have a kind of unique proposition in the marketplace in terms of the kind of deals that you're interested in and how you look at investing. And I guess it's what makes Fengate unique in our marketplace in terms of the type of deals that they do. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because that was the goal. When we started to think about a private equity business inside of a Canadian landscape, you know, I think it would have been natural for Fengate to look at a more traditional leverage bio strategy given our history and infrastructure. 
But uh, truth be told, when we started to evaluate where we thought we could be differentiated and be effective in the market, we wanted to uh, go somewhere where other investors weren't currently sitting. And we saw a gap that existed kind of between what I'll call, you know, early stage businesses that are developing um, and ultimately businesses that are selling full control positions to the traditional leveraged buyout shops. And we really try to fill that void in between where we go beside entrepreneurs or business owners or management teams. And our goal is to really support their growth ambitions. And what we do is we allow them to not necessarily have to sell control. We work and create bespoke solutions that allow them to realize on that growth. But our philosophy is, is that there's a number of entrepreneurs, especially in the Canadian market, that are on a trajectory that require capital, they require strategic support, they need some human resources along the way, and we can sit beside them and help them achieve their growth faster and smarter. And really that, that fits a certain uh, eye of entrepreneur who's looking for that type of strategic partner. But we found in the market today, there wasn't a number of people who were prepared to sit beside an entrepreneur and necessarily fund the next five years of their growth if you weren't either part of a syndicate group, let's say in a more traditional venture situation, or if you're buying full control. So we created a product that we thought would appeal to entrepreneurs where we could sit beside them and help them grow their businesses and actually be a bit differentiated relative to the capital solutions and strategic solutions they were receiving from, from others. And Justin, you'll do majority deals, you'll do minority deals, but at the end of the day, to your point, the key element of your thesis is your vendor, your seller has to be a partner. Yeah, we just we see so much institutional value, Mario, in what that entrepreneur and that management team knows through operating the business for however long they've operating it. So for us, one of our core tenants to doing a deal is that we want to know that the people who have helped to build this business to where it is today are committed to helping to build it to the next kind of stage of its evolution. So that requires us to need a partner. Now to your question on, does that mean we buy minority or, or majority? We define it as influential equity. So we want to be active partners, right? If that puts us in a minority position, but we feel really confident around who we're beside and we have certain governance that gives us protections we feel like we need as an investor, that's what matters more to us than the percentage of ownership we're buying, right? We fluctuate the percentage of ownership we're buying based off of the situation and who our entrepreneurial partners have at the table, what they want to do, how they want to grow. So we're less kind of, I would say we are less beholden to buying a specific percentage of ownership. We are more beholden to buying a specific type of ownership where we're sitting beside that team. We're committed to building it together and we can create structures and solutions that allow us to kind of have good alignment as we try to realize on, on that company's ambitions. Just one of the things that's unique about your value proposition, obviously, the role that the vendor plays is, you know, paramount to your thesis. Do you find that when you go into a, a sell-side process against other competitors, how does your value proposition of saying to a seller, come for the right, let's do this together, how does it hold up? Do you find that, you know, some people obviously want to sell 100% and want out. That's not you and that you're 100% not going to go there. But on the other hand, when you talk about your unique way of looking at a deal where you kind of partner with the vendor, how does that hold up in processes in terms of how do you, how does that position with sellers? What's the response from sellers when you talk about what you're looking for and how you add value? Yeah. So I, I think there's kind of two answers I would draw your attention to. So when it's a full 100% sale, 
and there's no desire for anyone to stick around and transition, that typically our, our type of solution where we're trying to help grow their business, we, we call ourselves transformative capital, Mario. And if you're not there to be part of that transformation, it doesn't necessarily sell well with those people who are looking for a full exit and they want to walk away from their business for whatever reason the case may be. But in a certain situation where we're backing a platform, and let's say they're considering various options, like we might sell control or we might sell minority. When we put, I think when we put our foot forward, which is a much bigger package than just capital, we've often sat there and thought about how we're going to fund, even beyond this initial funding round, the next couple of years of their growth. We put a lot of work in how we're going to support them through our value creation team. And all the things that we try to do that differentiate us, and we're really committed to that partnership, I believe it is differentiated in the market. So maybe it doesn't win the day every time, but it definitely gets the look, in my opinion. And because our approach is a bit unique and we commit so much resources to helping our companies grow and we hold less investments as a result of that, we don't need to win every process in order to be effective. So just like those entrepreneurs are very careful about who they're picking, I would say we have the same lens. So we are in those processes. It sells very well with entrepreneurs who are looking for that type of partners. And the brokers who are running those processes, let's say, they know us well. If they don't believe we're a good fit, they'll tell us up front and we will have preliminary conversations and maybe not get involved in that process. But where there is someone who's looking to grow, which is a lot of entrepreneurs, I think we sell and position you know, quite differently compared to some of the more traditional offerings that exist out there. But it also can depend on market and what people are looking to do in various markets. If it's a very hot market and they're looking to get off entirely because they believe a lot of value is being paid forward, and they're getting paid for that future growth that they would build with us, they may not be as interested in our offer because they're actually being paid for some of that growth that we're helping them achieve later. So it does get affected by market dynamics as well as like the vendor's own expectations. Justin, when you focus so much on the entrepreneur and obviously the relationship with the entrepreneur, and does that mean that your perspective on sectors, industries is broader? Because you're more focused on finding a partner who you, you, know, you can believe in and grow with or do you kind of still look at your deal opportunities with a kind of traditional private equity lens in terms of sectors and you know size and and space that you're willing to invest in? Yeah, we we tend to be profile hunters first, but we do have sectors. So when I say that Mario, I speak more to the dynamics of the transaction. You know, are they growing? Are they looking for a capital solution that looks like us? Do they value the partnership? But we do apply a sector lens because there are sectors that we we find that they suit our eye more appropriately as an investor. So we like, we spend most of our time in business services, healthcare, certain components of the ICT kind of ecosystem. And so generally we are, I would say, filtering through that lens at times, but we have entertained deals that would maybe be outside of those sectors if we felt that the dynamics or the company had a really unique value proposition and we could be effective in helping them. So we do have the ability to go broader, both geographically and on a sector basis, but we do kind of narrow our efforts. And as you know, we have a a whole origination team that is out there talking to entrepreneurs all the time, not only about what they need, but building relationships in sectors we like. So naturally, we're dedicating resources to the sectors or subsectors we believe provide the greatest opportunity. So we're kind of filtering ourselves, although our mandate would allow us to go beyond that filter. And just when you look at the market that we're in, rising interest rates, supply chain issues, you know, feeling that the economy is going to cool off a little bit. Um, is this an opportunity environment for FedGate for the kind of deal where, because you're partnering 
with someone and you're kind of believing in them. Is this, I don't want to say there's an ideal market because no one would talk about a cooling economy as an ideal market, but I mean, how are you holding up in this market in terms of deal flow and how do you see the opportunities for Fengate given the, the your thesis? Yeah, I think this market's a big opportunity. I mean, as you know, we, we have a longer term view on the world. And so we believe good businesses are, are good businesses. And if there's an opportunity to get into a good business, even in a market that has some headwinds in front of it, but we believe we can support the right team and that business has the right position, then we're happy to put that capital to work. In fact, I would say we've been, I think I've mentioned this to you before in our past discussions, but you know, in the last two years where it's been at times felt very overheated from a market perspective, we were very patient and disciplined because we believed that there would be headwinds that would allow us to look at businesses on a much more reasonable basis than what we've been seeing over the last couple of years. And I do feel like we're starting to see some of that come into the market now. But I will preface this by saying that that doesn't mean that good businesses don't trade at high valuations. Good businesses are good businesses, and that's our fundamental principle. So we wanna get into great businesses. And this market, if anything, I think affords us the opportunity to get a greater amount of looks at more good businesses, just from a function of maybe some people having um, been active and you know have already deployed capital, let's say over the last year or two years or so. So I'm confident our patience over the last 18 months will pay off over the next 18 months. Have you had a busy 2022 uh, at Fengate? We have, and you know we, we even had a busy 2021, but what we did was we focused very much on being active within our portfolio companies who were quite active at acquiring things. You know, in many cases, we're investing in platforms, uh, Mario, and those platforms have the abilities to go out and buy other businesses, even if their purchases of businesses are full buyouts, right? Which is not something we typically do at kind of the very top level. So we've been, we were quite active in 2021 through our portfolio companies. And yes, 2022, especially in the last, I'd say three months, we've found ourselves being very busy looking at opportunities. And so we're confident we'll have a good 2022 into 2023. Of course, there's a bit of instability in the market that we're all aware of. And so it's, it's important to tread carefully, but uh, we aren't necessarily seeing deal opportunities slow. I think what I would say is happening from a market perspective, in my view, is that maybe the number of people looking at those assets might have dropped a bit. And that supply demand kind of rebalancing, I think will create a better environment for uh, GPs like myself to, to execute transactions. I always ask the crystal ball question and we're kind of there. So I'm going to jump, <laughs> jump in with it, which is about where they kind of see the market going and, and from where they're sitting and what they're doing. And in your case, obviously people are nervous because they think that people who deploy capital may be moving to the sidelines if things like interest rates go up or, you know, the economy starts to cool off. So any of your perspective on what you see the in the market and where you see the market going and then what you see for Fengate for 22 for 23 when you look uh, a, a little bit forward on in the year ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll start by saying with maybe I'll start with the second part of your question first. Like, what do I see for Fengate? Well, we tend to sometimes when we get into a, a platform investment, we'll over equitize the deal and grow into using leverage as the business grows and takes on either M&A or other organic growth opportunities they might be pursuing. So that affords us the ability to be patient on some of the things you mentioned where let's say there's a higher cost to credit or there's less of a desire from lenders to take on increased amounts of leverage. We don't rely on those things when we're getting into platforms as a ways of closing our transactions. 
so I think for Fenge, we're going to have the flexibility to be very active if we want to be and if the great opportunities and great partnerships present themselves. So I'm looking forward to the next kind of two years as an opportunity to deploy capital in the right way with the right partners in the right types of structures to create the alignment for a future success over the next five to seven years. You know, where do I think the market is going? You know, I feel like it's a, it's, it's a bit hard at the moment to kind of predict what's going on with the amount of inflation that's happening and, and the responses we're seeing from the central banks. Uh, my personal view is that, you know, there's, there's some more pain to come, but I do think that some of the action that are being taken now will start to create some of the cooling that will reduce some of the pressures you spoke about earlier. And I, my, my personal view is, you know, these, these are things that can be managed through if you have the right management teams. And so it wouldn't prevent me from doing a transaction, but I would be remiss if I told you we weren't spending more time looking into and validating all of the various risks that we see now as a result of the current environment and making sure our companies, both our existing and the platforms that we're evaluating, have the kind of financial position to sustain and, and evolve in their own markets, right, and take advantage of opportunities and or withstand other issues they may face. So we are, while we're in this, we are spending more time kind of being active with all of our companies to make sure we're all kind of rowing in the same direction. I think that's important. But uh, we're, I've been blessed, Mario. We've invested beside some really great management teams who are fantastic and have, you know, kind of been preparing themselves for things like this in different ways. And uh, our job is to really support them in that. Justin, uh, if I could ask, you know, people say uh, the preview of what's to come is deal flow and, you know, banks not lending and, you know, indicators that the market may be slowing down. Have you seen any slowdown in deal flow? Have you noticed anything about deal flow that makes you suggest that, you know, things are changing? How about with banks? Are you noticing banks still active? What are you seeing in terms of the, the other players in the market? Is it still full steam ahead for what you're seeing right now? Yeah, I can't. it's tough for me to comment on the other players, but I'll, I'll tell you, I think the really strong businesses with good unit economics are getting support, whether that's from investors or banks or the like, Mario. I, I, those businesses, I believe, are getting support and we're not seeing that pullback. We have started to notice in the market that you know, maybe there's less kind of bidders on certain assets. I, I recall like even a year ago, you would put a bid in on a transaction and uh, you may get a call saying, well, we have 25 bids. <laughs> right. And uh, here's and here's what and we're taking 10 or 15 of them to management meetings, which just sounds like a very exhaustive process. And we're not getting that same level of response back from some of the processes we've been involved in uh, lately. But I, again, as I've said, I, I think great businesses are still attracting consistency from lenders and investors, good businesses led by good management teams with a strong path on where they want to go in a clear kind of value proposition are still attracting that. So I'm not seeing a slowdown equally across the market is what I would say to you. Justin, thank you for joining us. It's been great to learn about, uh, about you, about Fangate and that unique kind of role it plays in our market and the unique investment thesis it has. So it's been great to have you join us and, and thank you. Great, Mario. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much.